and welcome to the Pack Heavy podcast. Now this podcast is for anyone who works in the hospitality and food manufacturing industries who use flexible packaging to get their products to market. Featuring interviews with guests who have traveled the path that you're on so that you can learn from their successes and failures and engage in the mindset required to go all in on your vision. I call this mindset the Pack Heavy mentality and it's primarily driven by deliberate action and extreme organization. You gather market intelligence, put a strong plan in place, organize the appropriate resources, and then confidently test your hypothesis against reality. So if you're ready to pack heavy on your vision, you're in the right place, and I'm excited to have you here. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to episode 44, where today I'm joined by Mitch Jacobson, who is the founder and CEO of Riveda Inc. Before we get started, though, like usual, I did want to make a quick shout out to our key show sponsors being Food Pack and Coach Brad Bodnichuk. Head on down to the show notes, check out their websites, and later on in the show, I will be giving you a little bit more insight into the value that they bring into my life and the value that they can bring into yours. So launched in 2018 and located in Calgary, Alberta, Mitch and his co-founding partners Robert and Carly are pushing the boundaries of the energy drink market with their innovatively packaged and delicious energy teas. With five SKUs in the marketplace, Rovita Energy Tea is a ready-to-drink beverage consisting of a delicious blend of tea-based caffeine, golden organic honey, fruit juice, and vitamins, all designed to give the consumer clean energy without crash. And by clean, Mitch mentions that that means no artificial colors or sweeteners. Rovita is available from coast to coast across 700 plus retail locations, also online at amazon.ca, well.ca and spud.ca and also the Revitalize website which is rvitalize.com. Now this conversation was so much fun, Mitch is such a chilled out and uh, relaxed dude, just so giving of all of his time and energy and um, so many insights and nuggets that he shared. Some of the key takeaways for me were the benefits and uh, the pleasure that Mitch has working alongside his co-founding team, uh, utilizing small focus groups for early product and market testing, the critical nature of distribution partners, uh, some key ingredients in life that Mitch um, attributes to his success um, in both life and business, uh, the attention and detail required with package and label design, and also the value and efficiency found in flexible packaging. So yeah, once again, guys, a great episode, so much to learn here, and uh, yeah, sit back and enjoy. Mitch, welcome to the show. Hey, Aiden, thank you so much for having me. really appreciate all you do for entrepreneurs, and it's an honor to be on the show. Mate, it's a pleasure having you here. I um, I came across you on LinkedIn. You're really active on LinkedIn. How long have you been having a crack in that world? Yeah, you know what? LinkedIn is relatively new to me, so I've really mm-hmm. been focusing on it just the last few months here, and I just, it's incredible how many amazing connections we've made and yeah. how active people are on there it's, it's done wonders for myself yep. personally and for the business yeah i don't doubt it for a second i'm um i'm pretty active on linkedin as well you know for me it's a little bit more passive like i'm using it to sort of do research and you know build out my yeah. network and and just uh, sort of keep my finger on the pulse with where the industry is at and you know all of where all of the new innovation is coming from and sort of i really enjoy that aspect of linkedin and, um, and I guess you just sort of touched on it as well, but yeah, also being inspired by, you know, the progress that everybody's making in their business and making me dream a little bit bigger as well. Yeah, it's uh, it's a really powerful tool and I underestimated it for so long. And it's been, uh, like I said, it's been a huge, it's had a huge impact on our business. Yeah. Um, mate, for all of the listeners out there, you are based in Calgary. That's right. You bet Hayden, based in Calgary, born mate. and raised. 
Are you really? I was going to ask where you were born. So you were born and raised in Calgary. What a special part of the world. I got to say, I, um, I did two summers out there. My first one was after a ski season in Lake Louise in 2007, 2008 went and uh, labored. This was pre um, GFC. So construction was booming and I was there laboring, cutting concrete and sucking up slurry and uh, working all over Calgary. And honestly, mate, I was, had the time of my life. It was awesome. Oh, it's an incredible city. That uh, sounds like a difficult job, but yeah, <laughs> Calgary is such a unique culture. It's, it's, it's so entrepreneurial and it's yeah. such an amazing community here that supports entrepreneurs. And then you have things like the stampede to keep oh, you occupied. And yes. Yeah, the Stampede's awesome. It's a, I'd never been to anything like it before, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing like it in the world. Yeah, I'm still recovering, I think. Yeah, no doubt. Um, and then, yeah, the second season uh, I did at um, up at Big White in Kelowna, and then I went and took my old job back um, because I had such a great time with it the previous summer. And uh, i got to say, it wasn't the same because the the, you know, the financial impact of the world was a lot different back then. I think a lot of money had been shifting into other spaces. Yeah. Um, so things were a little bit slower. Um, still had a great time, but we ended up packing up a little bit early that summer and ended up moving our lives to Vancouver. And here we are now. So it's funny how that works. But yeah, mate, floating down the Bow River, uh, lots of great memories. Oh, yes. The Bow River, downtown Calgary is beautiful. So many things to do. Yeah. It's, yeah. I love it. Yeah. Such and, a great city. and not only that, like, I know you guys complain about the traffic, but you really, you don't really have traffic to complain about. <laughs> we do not have traffic to complain about it. Yeah. 10 yeah. minutes is about as bad as it gets here. Yeah. 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 10 minutes yeah. to get from one side. Actually, the only thing, the only complaint that I had with Calgary, and this is like a one percent complaint. I never like, so here in Vancouver, you always know which direction you're pointing in because you've always got the mountains on the North shore. So you can orientate yourself really, really quickly. Like you just got to look up, you see the mountains, you know, that's North in Calgary. I had no perception of direction at all. I could be in the Southeast and I could, I, I could never have told you where I was, for example. Yeah. You know what, Hayden, I still struggle with that because you're surrounded by mountains and I yeah. think a lot of the roadways don't make total sense. So yeah. You're yeah. not alone. Yeah. It's a funny place. Um, mate, let's dig into it. Now you've also got the thing that I found unique about you is you haven't come from the hospitality background and industry at all. And you've come from the petroleum industry, which doesn't surprise me being from Calgary. So tell us a little bit about, um, you know, your educational history, uh, what you studied, where you ended up after study and how you found yourself working in the CPG world. Yeah. Great question, Hayden. So I'm one of the true anomalies because I went from oil and gas, you know, a lucrative career there working in the petroleum industry. I went to the University of Calgary to petroleum engineering, of course, and really just went into the industry that I was born and raised in. So I was yep. fourth generation oil and gas, absolutely loved the industry, loved the technology. And I think so many people have maybe a negative perception when they hear oil and gas, but the amount of technology and sustainability and, and the way that that industry is moving is just, there's so much innovation and, mm. and so many intelligent people. And that's really what, you know, ultimately led me to create Revite Energy Tea. And here I am in a totally different industry, but using a lot of those skills that I learned in, in oil yep. and gas. Yeah, that's cool. And you've been an entrepreneur right from the start. Also, when I was digging into, you know, your background and I was doing some research on you online, which anyone could do these days with Google, it's pretty awesome. But that's I also amazing. saw, yeah, that, you know, you obviously back to yourself at, an, at a, quite a young age and went out and got a hundred thousand dollar student line of credit and used this along with some other sort of creative financing you could say to purchase two single family homes in calgary and i guess was that your sort of first endeavor into sort of the world of entrepreneurship and starting to generate some wealth on your end 
geez, you did do some digging, Aiden. You're right. Yeah. So when I was in university, you know, I had that entrepreneurial itch, didn't really know what I wanted to do. And I'd got into, you know, Rich Dad, Poor Dad and done yeah. some of those courses. And <laughs> great yeah. book, by the way. Yeah. Lots to be learned there. And, yeah, for sure. And, yeah. Learn about this concept of using OPM, he calls it other people's money and, and yeah. leveraging, uh, you know, financing to, to acquire property and ended up getting a student loan and don't tell my bank this, but I, instead of using it for my Books. university, yeah, <laughs> I used it as a down payment, but it ended up being a couple of houses. So that cool. was my first venture into, I guess you could say entrepreneurship and investing. Yeah. Have you still got the properties? I still do. Yeah, still do. Awesome. So they're uh, not as exciting as they sound. It's never fun when you have to replace the furnace and the roof and mm-hmm. you get calls in the middle of the night from your renters that something yeah. broke down or their dishwasher doesn't work. But yeah. it was it's a great learning experience, especially, you know, being a young man. And oh, for sure. Yeah. And did you have anyone else like, did your parents, were they active investors in the real estate market or did you have any sort of mentors that you could lean on or was this all sort of on your own accord? Yeah, a little bit of both. So, you know, my, my parents and my dad, especially really into real estate investing. So he's just been an incredible help. And then, like yep. I said, I had read all these books and just uh, went to some courses and said, Hey, I'm going to give this a try. So got into the market at a pretty bad time. It was kind of 2013, 2014, right when everything crashed, but yep. held on to them. And like yep. I said, the, the learning experience, the dealing with tenants and oh, yeah. You know, having to market your property to renters is just a lot of that experience is carried over to, you know, running a beverage company. Isn't it nuts? Like that boots on the ground experience is you, there's really no compensation for it. Um, and, and I'm sure you probably agree. I, I went to university and I studied, uh, I did my master's in entrepreneurship and innovation and you can get oh. all of the book smarts and, you know, you can read all of the case studies and, you know, turn in all of the papers, but until you actually have a crack yourself, that's where all of the learning begins. I find, have you found the same thing? That is so true. And yeah, that's a, a brilliant observation. You learn by doing Yeah, yep. everything I've read in books. I mean, that's great. And it's, yep. it gives you a good foundation, but it really comes down to getting out in the real world and making mistakes, not being afraid to screw up Yeah, because you know, those mistakes and those failures, that's where the learning of the growth happens. Yeah, for sure. I'm looking forward to digging into some of those um, learning experience with you towards the end of the podcast. Um, now, Let's start with the story of Ravita. Where did the idea come from and sort of how did it, where was it born and uh, how did you sort of turn it into its first version of a reality? Yeah, for sure. So it really dates back to about that same time that I got into real estate investing. I was at university and I had a really good friend that just loved energy drinks. And so I started drinking them with him and I was out with him one night and he drank several of these things. And- with Jaeger, right? Yeah, with Jaeger. And, <laughs> I mean, there was some other <laughs> alcoholic <laughs> beverages that were paired with those energy drinks. And yeah. He ended up having a minor heart attack. I was with oh, him. You know, I'll never forget it. It was quite a traumatic experience. Ended up taking him to the hospital. And, and so here I was in my early 20s. And I'm like, what the heck is in these, these energy drinks? Like, this, this can't be good. And But I continued to drink them because so I got out in the workforce. I was drinking them in oil and gas. And as I, I got a little bit older, I really started to pay attention to what I was putting into my body and calorie content and all of this. And I could just never find that healthy afternoon pick me up. Coffee's mm-hmm. great in the morning, but you know, it's 3 p.m. and it's 30 degrees out on some Calgary days. You don't necessarily mm-hmm. want your fifth cup of the day, but I just couldn't find a healthy alternative, something made with clean, natural ingredients. And then at the same time, I was working in sustainability in oil and gas. So I was working as a water sustainability engineer finding unique ways to recycle water and oil oh, and cool. gas and so i kind of put that experience together and i said why don't i go out and try and create 
a healthy energy beverage that uses, you know, really sustainable low carbon footprint packaging mm-hmm. is this experience I have in oil and gas. And so it really all came together, but it all spawned from, you know, being out with my friend that, that one night and him having a, a minor heart attack. Unfortunately, he's okay, but you know, something great came out of, uh, you know, a pretty dramatic situation. Yeah, man. I can only imagine sort of being in your shoes right then and you know, obviously, you know, anybody having a heart attack is a scary experience, but it's also pretty confronting when somebody that's your own age, especially, yeah. you know, when you're in your early twenties is having sort of an experience like that. It's pretty, you know, brings you down to earth pretty quick. It really does. Hayden. Yeah. It was, uh, it was quite the evening. Yeah. Yeah. I was, um, not sort of cast a, a shadow over the podcast, but I was in a car accident on my 19th birthday and, Jeez. um, I was fortunate. I got out of it. No problems at all, but there was somebody fatally injured or fatally hurt and um you know an experience like that it really does sort of shift and change the perception of of life and you know how fragile it is and um it gives you a really good opportunity to sort of refocus your lens on sort of what's important in life and sort of the direction that you're heading and you know i was 19 and um at the time i didn't really know it but it did impact me in a lot of ways and sort of the decisions that i made and in life and um and you probably had the same experience too yeah, I'm so sorry to hear that, Hayden. I know it's so traumatic, and I think sometimes it takes a decade for it to really sink yeah. in and how yeah. that impacted you and really yeah. changed change your life and change your perspective. Yeah, it's bizarre. Um, mate, so Ravita was born. Now, tell us a little bit about how you actually went out there and tested the market, because I know that at the moment, you know, we did briefly touch on it, but you are using a co-packer at the moment, which is a pretty critical part of the CPG process. And a lot of the entrepreneurs that I have had on the show have leveraged a, a, um, a co-packer, which is extremely smart because you can really focus on what you do best um, if formulating and packaging up the product isn't what you already do best. So tell us a little bit about prior to those days, how you actually formulated the products got it in a form that was um, consumer friendly and actually did some testing with the marketplace? Yeah, another great question, Aiden. So a common theme with my story was I think ignorance is ended up being one of my greatest assets because I had zero beverage experience. I hadn't even worked at a grocery store. No one in my family line had ever worked in really in retail or especially not in consumer packaged goods. Yeah. So for me, it literally started with a Google search. How do yeah. you start a beverage company? Yeah. And it went from there. And step one for me was screwing around in my kitchen with different ingredients. Yeah. And when you really go down the rabbit hole of researching consumer packaged goods and how to create a food company, you'll find out pretty quick that, you know, doing it in your kitchen, you know, if it's a baked product that can be feasible, but in terms of a beverage, you really need a food scientist or an expert in that field to kind of help you formulate the product because Mm. you need to use scalable ingredients and you need to make sure that, whatever production formula you come up with, you can give to a third-party manufacturer to make it for you. Yeah. So the first really two years, you know, from the inception of the idea where I really decided I was going to do this was just experimenting one in my kitchen and then then two, finding a food scientist that was going to be able to help us with the process Mm. and just iterating back and forth over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. And we went through so many more dollars and so many more iterations than I ever expected. Mm And there was so much to be learned in, in that experience. And so when I tell people about my story, I think the one thing you can take away is if you have you know, a crazy idea or a business you want to start, you don't need to have experience in that industry. Mm. You just have to get started. Mm-hmm. No, that's really valuable. Um, when you actually, when you were sort of mulling over the idea and you were starting to put pen to paper and sort of write out the, you know, what the idea looked like and sort of, yeah. you know, really fleshed it out. 
what was the first version of the business that you had? What did you, what was your vision for it and how has it changed over time? Oh, you're asking all the good questions, Hayden. So from my very first vision of the business is completely different than yeah. what they look now, right? Yeah. The product is different. The branding is different. I think our intentions are the same. Like I really wanted to help people with a clean, healthy energy beverage that would make them feel great. Didn't put any crap, you know, no artificial ingredients, all ingredients that you could read on the back of the package. You'd be like, Hey, I know what that is. And I know that that's good for me. So yeah. that vision has always remained the same, but in terms of the branding and the formulation, it was really a trial and error process. You know, I'll, I'll give you a story, Hayden. So, you know, I invested probably about $10,000 in our initial branding. We had a can design because we were initially going to put it in a can yeah. and we had all this graphic design work done, hired a graphic designer. And my dad one day was looking at it and he's like, Hey, did you do a trademark search? And I looked at him and I said, what is a trademark search? Like, I did, That's how naive I went into this. And so of course I called the trademark lawyer found on Google and he did a quick search and he said, you're going to have to redo all your branding because you're going to have a cease and desist letter within a week if you launch mm -hmm. with this. So it was made so many ridiculous mistakes that ended up, you know, costing us a lot of time and money, but those mistakes of, you know, really helped develop the brand and help us go back to square one and really think about how can we develop a brand that's truly going to help people and truly going to resonate with the consumer. Mm -hmm. So how do you approach things now? So that $10,000 mistake that you made, right? Like yeah. that's sort of just the cost of learning. You could put it down to, oh man, I heard a really good quote the other day and I can't remember where it came from. It may have even been, I might've been listening to Tim Ferriss's podcast where he interviewed the founder of Dyson. Oh, actually, you know what? It was the Jocko podcast and they were talking about origin um, and the, the, um, the go Jocko fuel drinks and, and the jeans and stuff that he makes. Yeah. And uh, yeah, they were talking about the mistakes. That's right. It was that episode. They were talking about the mistakes they make and they just call that the cost of your education. <laughs> so, That's so true. Yeah, isn't it? So how do you make decisions now to A, mitigate expensive mistakes and B, draw from your, you know, the lessons learned from the past? Yeah. I think I'm a big fan of Jocko myself too. He's awesome, he's, isn't he? Uh, he's yeah. awesome. Yeah. And some of the books those guys have written, like Extreme Ownership, just oh, incredible. Dude. Yeah. I, I reflect so, back on that book quite frequently, actually. Oh, that's yeah. a foundational book, I think, for yeah. anybody. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And it, you know, it's, it's really just learning from your mistakes. And it's also empowering yourself and your team not to be afraid to make mistakes because it's inevitable as an entrepreneur. Yeah. You're going to screw things up and you're going to, you know, I'll tell you another funny story when we had to first order a packaging, one of the big barriers to entry in the beverage industry or food industry is minimum orders on packages. Yep. You would know more than anybody. <laughs> I have the conversation yeah. daily. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so for us, I mean, I, I look at these numbers now and I laugh because it's funny looking back a couple of years, but yeah. you know, our, our MOQ on our first packaging run was 11,000 units. And that might as well have been a million. Yeah. To us it felt really started. unachievable at one stage. Yeah. It felt so unachievable. And, and so we ordered these 11,000 packages and we'd spent months looking at the design, making sure there was no spelling mistakes. Mm -hmm. Like it was perfect. Right. And I go into our, our first store to, to pitch a retail buyer and I'm telling him about the product. He's like, yeah, he tried it. I loved it. I want to take it in my store. Goes to scan the barcode. The barcode doesn't scan. I used the wrong barcode format. So we printed 11,000 packages with the wrong barcode format. But yep. you know what? You just learn and you adapt. And now we yep. understand that, hey, these are things that we need to look at on our next mm -hmm. package design. And yep. then we had another customer and uh, we have the word sensitive on the back of our package just because it's a health Canada thing. People sensitive to caffeine, you have to put yep. a little bit, a little disclaimer there. And a customer called and she's like, was this a joke? 
you know, like the spelling of sensitive and we're like a joke. She's Guys, I hope you're enjoying the conversation that I'm having with Mitch today. While I've got your attention, I did want to speak to you about our show sponsors, so Food Pack and Coach Brad Bodnichuk. Both Food Pack and Brad bring a lot of value into my life, and I know that will bring a lot of value into your life and business as well. So first off the rank, we've got Food Pack. And I've said it before and I'll say it again, but your packaging is the first and most meaningful interaction that your consumer will most likely have with your product. So at Foodpack, we focus exclusively on what your vision and needs are and work hard to deliver on a flexible packaging solution that serves its purpose properly at the right price. So if you're looking to get into the market for the first time with a stock pouch, or would like to assess your existing program, I recommend that you get in touch with me directly by emailing me at hayden at foodpack, and that's pack with a K, dot or by calling me on 604-360-6790. Now, how serious are you in the pursuit of squeezing every last drop of your potential into whatever it is that you're passionate about in life? So be it your career or relationship or even your relationship with yourself. Well, 12 months ago, I started working with a coach with the aim of gaining a real clear vision for my life and the sort of fundamentals of long-term and short-term goals. Not only that, but the mindset needed to achieve those goals and the systems and process to support it all like daily and weekly and monthly structures that really need to be in place to see progress and success in your vision. So I've really enjoyed the process and I would highly recommend you reach out to Brad Bodnichuk for a free 45 minute strategy session by visiting the link in the show notes. Brad is an absolute world-class coach, and if you're willing to push yourself in ways that you didn't even know were possible, you're crazy not to go and have that 45-minute chat with Brad and take it from there. Thanks for your time. Like, is this like a, you know, a guy's joke? We've spelled sensitive, S-E-N-S-T-I-T-V-E. So we had tit in the middle of sensitive. <laughs> sensitive. <laughs> on 11,000 <laughs> And how many times did you looked over that word? Yeah, a hundred, a hundred, right? And you just go blind to it after a period of time. And so I look back now and and laugh at some of these mistakes that you made. So long-winded answer to your question, but it's really just empowering yourself. Understand you're going to make mistakes. You're going to screw things up, but you're going to Mm -hmm. learn from them. And Mm -hmm. that's where the greatness comes from is making those mistakes and adapting and learning and and, uh, having a sense of humor about it because it's inevitable. Dude, yes, absolutely. Um, you're also, and are you still active in the fitness world as well? Are you still competing or getting to the gym and getting after it daily? I'm uh, still getting after it daily. Yeah, yeah. I'm doing, uh, you might've heard of it. If, if you're familiar with Andy Frisella's podcast, the 75 hard program. So that's uh, a big one. The team and I hear uh, yeah. and go after, but yeah. in terms of competing, no, but it's still a huge part of our branding and a huge part of our lifestyle is, is healthy nutrition and, yeah, and cool. exercise. I have heard of the 75 hard program. Um, I was actually listening to your most recent episode that you did with Carly and she was talking about it too, and sort of the benefits that she had and, you know, how once the, once it came to an end, she was actually disappointed. She's like, oh man, I I just wanted to keep going, you know? Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. She's been kind of a week off the program and she came back on it because, you know, just that, that, you know, the happiness really does come from the discipline. Like I think we're all learning that year and and the team is learning that and, yeah. Staying on a program and, and yep. really looking after yourself day in and day out is, is where the magic happens. Are you going to throw out the Jocko? The Jocko discipline equals freedom, or am I? <laughs> <laughs> hey, there you go. Hey, yeah, discipline does equal freedom. It does, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah. So um, let's just get back onto the Ravada story. So I think you know one of the interesting things that when I was looking at your story is 
you know, obviously I, I gained a lot of information from your website. You put a lot of time and energy into telling the story, being really clear on sort of what your pillars are around sort of faith, um, fitness, family, and freedom. And, um, and, you know, not only is the website really clean and easily digestible, but I found that, you know, for somebody that's looking from the outside in, it's really easy to read because what I've found is when you're on the inside and you're amongst it, you sort of wonder what people are thinking. How do you go about getting information or getting feedback from your consumers, whether it's on the product itself or just on the brand or the message that you're putting out there, you know, are you out in front of your consumers and chatting with them or how do you go about collecting information from them? Yeah, another really great question. And, and the way that we've really approached it, Hayden, is, you know, we have a saying around here, make a friend, make make a sale. And yep. it's about developing, you know, true relationships with your customers. And, you know, I can honestly say that, you know, some of our online subscribers, like, we know their kids' names, we know yep. their dog's name, you know, like, we call them and see how they're doing. And, you know, myself and Rob Carly and Dale and the team mm-hmm. here, like we, we've all make a concerted effort to do that mm-hmm. because at the end of the day, we truly care. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's not about the money. It's about helping people. You know, that's our metric for success here. Mm-hmm. So the way that we go about doing that, if we get an online order, you know, don't be surprised if one of us gives you a call and thanks you personally. You know, we write handwritten thank you cards with every single order. There's no automated messages that come from us following up. Like we, you know, it's a person here that's going to follow up with an online order. So that's really the way that we've developed relationships with our customers, but also gotten feedback because, mm-hmm. you know, when you become friends with these people and, you know, they're, they're genuine friends of the brand, they tell us what they want and what flavors they want and what we can do better and how we mm-hmm. can improve. And we've just over time really incorporated that into our branding, into our website. Mm-hmm. Got a customer yesterday who pointed out a couple technical problems wrong with our website. And I went and changed them right away. So, it's that. We're just so blessed to have, you know, incredible people that really look out for us and give us great feedback that we can use to iterate and, and make the brand, you know, more conducive to helping our our clients. Yeah. So when you do receive feedback on the product, and I guess, you know, you're just talking about MOQs and the commitment that you have to make with your um, co-packer and so on. So, you know, with a certain volumes that you've got to get filled you know, you're obviously committing to quite a bit up front. You know, you're taking receipt of the stock and then you've got to sell it on. Now, if you do get feedback on any of the flavors or whether you're trying to reformulate, how are you actually sort of testing that with the market and how quickly are you able to pivot on a, on a flavor or any changes that you make? Yeah, great question. So when, when we launched our first flavor, the way that we kind of collected feedback is I would do blind taste testing with like yeah. friends and family. So yeah. this was pre-COVID days and I would have everybody over to my house and I would line up and then there would be like a whole bunch of different beverages. So there'd be, you know, Coke products and Pepsi products and whatever, like in, in cups. So no one knew what they were. And then our whatever sample iteration that we were on. And we did this over and over and over again over the course of really a, a year and a half, almost two years. That'd have been fun. And, and so, and at the, at the beginning, like our very first sample that we got back from our food scientist, I'll tell you a funny story, Rob, our co-founder, I'd, I'd made everyone fill out a piece of paper. So they'd done all the blind taste tests, they'd sample A, B, C, D, F, and they had to fill out what their favorite was. And so I'm, I'm reading the papers at the end of the day and I'm like, did I mislabel our product? Like some of this feedback is just terrible. And I get to Rob's and he says, the sample that was our first sample of Vita, he said, this tastes like battery acid. So that's where we came from, you know, at the beginning of our two-year journey. And by the end, we were we were winning, like the taste test. Like people said, this is by far the best tasting of them all. And that's when we launched market. So I think really doing your homework up front 
but also understanding that you're probably going to start from a place where it's not great. Yeah, That's where sure. we started from now. And, and the number one piece of feedback we get is, is people love the taste. Yeah, and put a little asterisk next to Robert's name and say, don't listen to his feedback. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Don't listen to Rob. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't take him to a wine tasting. <laughs> That's, <it. laughs> That's funny, mate. Um, so when you were sort of getting out there and you sort of had a hypothesis on who your target audience was and potentially you used that hypothesis to sort of build out the focus group that you were utilizing to get your evaluations on the products that you were, um, yeah. you know, doing your iterations on. How did you sort of build out, you know, your perfect client hypothesis and, you know, how did you eventually sort of weave your way into finding who your market was and, and how to find them? Yes. You know, we really did it. Like I said, you know, ignorance was one of my best friends and I didn't really even understand what a target market was, you know, it was these, to me, it was sort of this buzzword that I'd seen, you know, on the internet and the business yeah. books and stuff. And what we always bought into the concept of the lean startup. I don't yep. know if you've read that book, yeah. Hayden, but yep. incredible book. And really what I took away from that is the market is so dynamic and fluid. It's so difficult to really make up, you know, a accurate hypothesis of what the market's <laughs> going to want. So make the best possible product that you think you can make, put it out in the market and then test it. Mm-hmm. And so that's really what we've done. We kind of had an idea who our target demographic is, but what we found, especially in the last year here, is it's so much wider mm-hmm. than we originally assumed. Mm-hmm. We were originally going after that you know, Whole Foods type shopper, right? 25 to 40, mm-hmm. generally professional, college educated. Mm-hmm. And now we ship product to, you know, everyone from junior hockey teams to senior senior homes. Oh, cool. So it's this problem of healthy energy and wanting to feel good is a universal problem. Mm-hmm. And we definitely do have a target demographic that, you know, is most suited to our product, but it's a lot wider than we originally assumed. And the only way we figured that out was just by putting the product out there testing it, collecting feedback mm-hmm. and constantly finding ways to just serve our customers better and better over time. Yeah. Yeah. Now you just suggested that, um, you know, learning from values has been really the, the only way that you've, you know, managed yeah. to learn and you've learned fast and, and which has been great. Did you write a business plan or, and did you have everything down on paper or was it sort of more just up here and you were just noodling everything around? <laughs> Mostly up here. Yeah, yeah mostly okay. noodling around. We did make a business plan and I made a LinkedIn post about this recently. I actually came across it in my files the other day. Okay. And we it was something like my original estimate was it was going to cost $15,000 and we we're going to launch in six months. Well, it took us like almost two and a half years to launch and 10 times <laughs> or more than that original estimate. So yeah. it's, it's funny how your perception when you're just getting started of how much time and money things mm-hmm. are going to take and then what they take in reality. Yeah. And the number one skill I've learned, you know, through entrepreneurship is just don't quit. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, resilience and Jocko talks about this too is, is really what separates. I think those from that become successful in business and those that don't mm-hmm. is you're going to fail going to go through hard times and you just have to find a way to just keep pushing through. Yeah, that's cool. Um, you know, you've probably learned a lot of resilience and sort of discipline from working out at the gym too. Do you find that there are parallels between, you know, your daily workouts and how hard you work in the gym and how that sort of helps you in business too? Oh, absolutely. Another, you know, brilliant point, Aiden. I think nothing parallels business more than, you know, developing your body in the yeah. gym. Yeah. Because it's a 24-7 endeavor, right? Yeah. And the people that are successful 
you know, I saw him competing. Yeah. They don't take Saturdays and Sundays off, you yeah. know, like they're focused on their diet. They're focused on their sleep. They're focused on their exercise routine day in and day out. And the most successful entrepreneurs that I've been so blessed to know, it's the same thing. Mm-hmm. It's, it's an all encompassing focus on mm-hmm. how they can serve their customers better. And, you know, just like in the gym, you have to tear your muscles and actually get weaker before you can get stronger. Mm-hmm. Definitely the same thing in business. You go through so much adversity, things that I never imagined we'd have to deal with, we've had to deal with, and you got to just keep pushing through. Mm-hmm. And you get more efficient at what you're doing as well. That's so true. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. You know, one thing, I haven't been to the gym for a while. I've got two young kids at home and uh, they're not my excuse, but they're definitely a reality of the situation and how much time I have these days. So yeah, I just tend to do a workout on the floor and push-ups, and, you know, just body weight exercises. But yeah, one thing that I loved about getting into the gym was like the mental, the mental break that you get from it. You know, you push through yeah. something hard, the clarity that you have at the end. And I get the same thing from running as well. Um, you know, do you do all of your thinking and decision-making when you're at the gym or after the gym or how does that sort of fold into the mix? Yeah. Well, I think chasing your kids around is probably working enough. Eh? Yeah, mate, it, it is. <laughs> Never been so tight in my life. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I think, you know, I was just reading uh, Damon John's book the, from Shark Tank and he really talks about the habits of successful people. And so right. many of them have this common theme of they do so much of their thinking when they're mm-hmm. exercising and I, I would agree. I think some of our best revelations, not just for myself, but my business partners here come when, you know, we're out for a run or mm-hmm. we're in the gym and, and you can kind of let it release that stress. Cause there's so much, there's a lot of days here where, you know, there could be, you know, heavy weight on your shoulders. And I think getting to the gym and focusing on your health can, you know, really allow you to kind of release that and finally mm-hmm. think clearly. And so, yes, to answer your question, it's, it just made all, the difference in the world. And I notice when I get out of that habit of continually exercising and continue looking after my diet, the business starts to drop off. So mm-hmm. it, it's the two things are correlated. Mm-hmm. So that's a critical ingredient for you. What other critical ingredients do you have? Is it like the network that you've got around you and the people that you leverage? Like what other sort of key pieces to your success do you sort of attribute things to? Yeah, well, such a long way to go. So, yep. you know, my, my family, for sure. I think mm-hmm. that family time, I'm sure you could say this, spending time with your kids, right? Yeah. There's just nothing that, you know, can top that for me. It's spending time with, I get to work with my sister, so I'm very blessed, but oh, cool. I a lot of time with my parents and, and then reading is mm-hmm. a huge thing for me. So I'm really trying to get back in the habit of reading at least 10 pages of a personal development book a day. Yeah. And I just, the ideas that you get and the different perspectives you get, you know, reading about these ultra successful people, you know, one sentence in a 300 page book can end up saving you millions of dollars in the long mm. run. So mm-hmm. I think that's been a huge success habit. What, what would you say for yourself? Aiden? Yeah. I mean, a, a morning routine. So I'm all about yeah. sort of like prescribing to routines. So I've got an AM routine and a PM routine that I, I strictly live by and they sort of set my morning, my days up for success and, yeah. you know, set, at both ends of the, of it. um, I would suggest that for me, reading is something that's fallen by the wayside, but I, I consume a lot of podcasts because I do a lot of driving yeah. and, uh, and that really helps me. And, and I really get a lot out of that. Um, you know, for me, I, there's two things that I like to do and there's, you know, you could look at it as a, as a discipline as well. So I do like to have a, a cold shower of a morning as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so sort of the Wim Hof uh, method, I don't do his breathing exercises, but I definitely do the cold exposure and sort of, you know, push through that. And I find that that really helps me. And the other thing is I fast as well. 
And so the combination of fasting and um, the cold exposure, I think sort of helps me overcome things daily just because I don't give myself an out. And uh, if you sort of start exercising, not giving yourself an out, it sort of translates into other areas of your life as well. I agree completely. It's funny that you say cold shower because it's something that I've been really implementing in my routine and I can tell you like a hundred days in, it doesn't get any easier, but it really sets the pace for the day. You know, you start the day doing something difficult, something you didn't want to do. It just sets your mind right. And there's so many physiological benefits when you research. Yeah. And how good do you feel after it? Like after you've had those three minutes of like pure ice cold pouring over you and you can't focus on anything in life except for that cold water that's on you you turn the tap off, but you feel amazing. Like there is just no other feeling like it. It's really hard to describe. It is. You're just ready to go for the day. Yeah. It sets the tone for the whole rest of your day. Yeah, it does. So yeah, I guess there's some pretty cool, um, pretty critical um, things that I I utilize in life. Um, I have peaks and troughs of meditation. So I'm in a trough right now and I need to build my way back up. Um, but yeah, meditation definitely is a, a part of my life and it's been a bigger part of my life in the past. And then, yeah, being present with my kids is my biggest focus and my wife as well. Like when I'm with them, I want to be with them and that's harder to achieve than, you know, it sounds like I'm thinking about work when I'm at work, I'm thinking about home. And when I'm at home, I'm thinking about work. It's really weird how that happens. And obviously I've got the podcast too, but yeah, when life's busy, you're always thinking about the things that need being done need to be done. So I guess, you know, having multiple um, balls up in the air and juggling everything, um, you know, keeping everything in one place. So I've got my diary, which I, uh, I live by and uh, yeah, obviously got my calendar and um, scheduling um, tools that I've got on the computer as well. So yeah, that all, they, all of those things help me in life too. That's fantastic. Yeah. I agree with all of those things. Yeah. Mate, um, have you done any courses or have you sort of jumped into sort of any incubator programs or, you know, um, have you had any, um, have you had any mentors work closely beside you in the business? Yeah. So, you know, Rob and Carly, my co-founders, so right. kind of, you know, shortly after that idea stage, you know, yeah. they came into the business and helped me. So they've just been incredible. Like right, right. You know, Car- Carly's my sister. I mean, yeah. Rob might as well be my brother and, yeah. uh, you know, getting to work with them every day is, is just a dream come true. So, right. I really lean on them. And then, you know, in terms of a mentor, you know, my father, he's uh, in, in the oil and gas industry. He's an entrepreneur. Yep. He owns a company, an engineering company that employs about a hundred people. Yeah. So even though it's a very different industry, getting to, you know, learn from him and mm-hmm. see the way that he handles himself mm-hmm. and the way he's just an innate leader, you know, in the way that his employees respect him and how he's truly impacted their life and like, yeah. you know, truly made a difference. I think has just been so profound yeah. for me getting That's to see that. And I think one of the best parts of this business, you know, we have our first, you know, full-time employee outside of, you know, the three original founders now yeah. and getting to see him flourish and develop and grow has been, I would say that outweighs anything else we've done with the business. And I'm really excited to bring more people on the team and yeah. really create careers and, and create, you know, culture here that can really impact lives. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize that Robert and Carly um, started so early. Like they were right back at the start with you as well. Yeah, they were, you know, so I kind of thought back to the the event with the heart attack there yeah, and yeah. started screwing around my kitchen and, and told Rob and Carly about it shortly after that. And, yeah. and then the three of us, you know, oh, just man. the idea and, and yeah. with it. So very blessed to, yeah. to have both of them. Like, you know, Carly quit her, her job as a, as a nurse. Yeah. So she, she was a full-time nurse at Big the decision. hospital. Yeah, yeah. Huge decision. And yeah. she's turned into 
with no sales experience, like I think the best in-store consumer package goods rep in Canada. I stand by that. That's awesome. Uh, Rob was a geophysicist and now he acts as our, basically our CFO and our, our CMO yeah. handles all our marketing, all our financials. And, you know, to see them just grow into these roles and, and flourish and mm. it's, uh, I'm so incredibly blessed to have both of them. Mm-hmm. It sounds like you all complement each other, like with different skill sets. So yes, absolutely. Yeah, and I think that's when you're choosing a business partner, mm-hmm. you have to make sure that they have skill sets that you don't have, mm-hmm. you know. And and we all complement each other because we all have different skills that the others can do, but it's not their necessarily their strengths. And mm-hmm. so I think we all mesh really well, and there's really been no conflict. Like we we have disagreements, but we deal with them amicably, and we all yeah. just really complement each other's styles. Man, you guys are really lucky to have that. We're very very blessed. Yes. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so you're currently in over 700 stores and you've accomplished that in a relatively quick amount of time. And you said that Kali is kicking some massive goals. What do you put that down to? Like, you know, the the great distribution that you've got and uh, you're obviously a national brand now. You're from coast to coast, which is a huge achievement. So congratulations on that. Thank you, Aiden. Um, Tell us a little bit about sort of the early days of growth. Like once you had some traction, you were in some retail locations, but you knew that you wanted to sort of grow. What was sort of the the stepping stones to get to where you are today in that respect? Yeah, you know, I think it really parallels the product development path because it was just trying different things, failing, going back to the drawing board and keeping at it over and over again. Mm-hmm. So, you know, our first store was a sock store that doesn't exist anymore. It was at a mall. It was a store that sold socks. We put a fridge in there started selling our energy teas out of, out of this fridge, collecting consumer feedback. And from yep. there, we got an opportunity in our first retail store, yep. which was uh, you know, a grocery store here in Calgary. And then we got our first chain of three stores. Now we're in five stores. Yep. And we just took the same approach over and over again. This was you know just before COVID. Mm-hmm. So we were getting in the store and we were, we were sampling our product out two, three, four times a week. Like we right. were just, demoing. Yep. Demoing, just relentless, telling everybody that we could and really trying to give an experience to the customer, whether it was online on our website mm-hmm. or in the store. And so over time, we just iterated, we figured out what works, what, you know, what part of the store did we sell better in than other parts of the store? You know, what things, how should you approach a grocery manager? How should you not approach them, mm-hmm. right? And, yeah. you know, I'm sure you learn these things in sales too. You, you learn what to say and what not to say. And we've really just scaled that same process, you know, so went from three stores to five stores, to then, you know, we were so blessed, the local program, so we Safeway Alberta took us on here, that got us up to around 100 stores and Calgary Co-op came on and mm-hmm. we've just built that momentum, you know, focusing on one customer at a time, mm-hmm. one retail account at a time, making sure they feel supported and making mm-hmm. sure we're, we're adding value to them. And it just compounds over mm-hmm. the course of, of months and months doing this. Yeah, that's cool. Um, you know, one thing is, um, you know, in sales is obviously pattern recognition. Like you have very similar conversations, understanding what data is important and how people make decisions and sort of what they need yeah. to make decisions with and sort of, you know, really aligning with their vision and their values as well is important too. Um, when you were just starting to break into that retail world, did you have a distributor or were you doing all of your own distribution? And at what point did you bring on a distributor to sort of help cast the net? Yeah, so we didn't, I didn't even know what a distributor was when I right. got started, just to give you an idea of how naive I was. So we got into our first few stores and did a bunch of reading and research and people had told me, well, you need a distributor. Yeah. So we got our very first distributor early on. It was, uh, you know, a very small distributor. It didn't end up working out. It mm-hmm. just didn't. Qu- and then we moved to a bigger distributor that we're yep. still with now. 
uh, who's done an incredible job for us in Western Canada. And we went from one distributor to now, I think we have, you know, six or, or seven different distributors in different regions, yeah. you know, across the country. And yeah. it was just that same process over and over again, you know, making sure that your distributor feels supported, yeah. that there's a big enough win for them. And, mm-hmm. and yeah, finding the right distribution partner is imperative when you're in a consumer packaged goods business, yeah. as you know, it makes a world of difference. And we're so fortunate now to have some really incredible distributor partners that really represent Revita well and understand what we're about mm-hmm. and have, have really helped us, you know, grow the brand across Canada. Mm-hmm. Are you noticing, um, I, I, sorry, I did notice that you're also listed on well.ca you're listed on Amazon spud. There are quite a few online retailers that you're, um, that you're selling through. At what point did you sort of realize that, you know, there was a huge opportunity in the online retail space and how is that comparing to your bricks and mortar sales? Yeah. So, you know, online is a huge opportunity for us. Yeah. I think we recognize that really early on. So we, yeah. we fired up our website kind of from, from day one yeah. and started selling direct to consumer. And what I love about it is you get to control that relationship, right? Mm-hmm. When someone goes into a store and buys Revita at their local grocery store, I don't get to know that person necessarily unless yeah. they reach out to us. Whereas when it's on our website, I can pick up the phone and call them and say, you know, Hey, Hayden, thank you so much for your order. How are you today? How did you hear about us? You know, how can I serve you better? Yeah. And so that was something that was so important to us. And obviously, you know, with, with Amazon and well.ca and, and some of these other, you know, healthy planet now we're on, that's the, the way of the future, you know, more and more people are shopping for their groceries online and to be able to, you know, secure our spot in that space has just done so much for our business. And it's, you know, really allowed us to have a little bit more control over our margins and allowed us to have more control over that, you know, customer relationship, which Mm -hmm. has done wonders for for Revita. That's great. I can imagine that, you know, each of the retailers would have their, um, would have their unique attributes. And, um, you know, from speaking with a few business owners on the podcast, getting listed on Amazon is time consuming. And, uh, but well and truly worth it once you get across the line and you actually start shipping to their DCs. How was your experience? exactly the same you hit the nail on the head Aiden. so it was it took a lot longer than i was expecting it to take it's like yeah. months and months of paperwork and online forms and yeah. applications and going yeah. back and forth and making calls but once we got listed and it's been so wonderful for our business and i know yeah. that you know some people say that oh amazon's not great for local business that's not the experience that we've had you know, it's been fantastic. It's given us access to people that would probably never order from our website just yeah. because Amazon's such a trusted brand. Yeah. And so I really have, you know, nothing but good things to say about it. And it, it's, it really has helped our company. Mm-hmm. Are you looking to venture down into the States with Amazon at some stage? Absolutely. Yeah. So we were on Amazon Prime States for a short period of time oh, cool. there yep. on a trial. It went well. So yeah. We're open to launch back down there soon and we do ship online orders there oh, about every week now. So it's been pretty cool to go sell yeah. the order and yeah, yeah. to build some relationships down there. Yeah, I can imagine that would be a great opportunity, you know, just given the huge, the huge numbers and opportunity down in the States is insane, especially on the West Coast. Oh. Like the population is nuts, isn't it? The population is nuts. Yeah. Like there's probably arguably a bigger market in, you know, California than there might be in all of Canada. So it's oh yeah uh, yeah (laughs) yeah there's a bigger population like in California alone than the whole of Australia it's insane (laughs) it's insane yeah it's insane and and trends just they catch on so fast there yeah and oh it's it's an incredible opportunity and and we're looking forward to pursuing it yeah. 
That's great. Mate, let's dig into your packaging a little bit because I know the value of flexible packaging and I talk about it quite a bit because of obviously, you know, working yeah. at food pack. Um, but, you know, the value in flexible packaging is that, you know, if you if I gave you a case of a thousand pouches versus a thousand bottles, what would the impact on your business be? Hayden, you are speaking my language. And, you know, I, I try to tell, I love having these conversations mm. because, this was eye-opening to me yep. when I first started looking at it. The, there's a lot of hate on the plastic industry. I'm sure you deal with it all the time, Aiden. Yeah. You know, I deal with it. But flexible packaging, you know, from all of my research, truly is the best possible packaging for the environment right now. It is the lowest carbon footprint. And just like you said, in terms of storage space mm -hmm. and shipping, you know, space, Cost, and the, yeah. the carbon, emission, carbon yeah. emissions that come from that, you can ship flexible packaging flat. Mm -hmm. you know, every other type of packaging, whether it's cans or bottles, gets shipped fully formed and it's heavier, takes up space, uses those carbon emissions. Mm -hmm. And so there's so many advantages to using flexible packaging and the recycling technology is getting developed. So it's something we're really passionate about here yeah. at Revita because you know, the environment and looking after it, just like yourself, Hayden, yeah. is you know, a huge core value for us. Yeah, it's definitely not a perfect system. Like there's no way around, you know, getting around it, but there's no perfect systems at the moment. But when you do evaluate yeah. it in the same lens, through the same lens that you have, it definitely comes out on top. Um, you know, one of the things that I find really interesting is you're right. There is a lot of hate about plastic, but the reality is, is that to get a consumer package good into the hands of the consumer, you need to have barrier protection. It needs to be shelf stable. It needs to, you know, there are so many pieces of criteria that need to be ticked and fortunately flexible packaging does tick a lot of those boxes in a lot of cases and um, but it's the end of life system that the real issue is in the marketplace you know whether the infrastructure is available to be able to process them is is sort of where the bottleneck is right now yes yeah i completely agree and yep. it's something that we're very aware of you know yep. we're trying to work with municipalities to help yep. develop Yep. some of this recycling infrastructure yeah but on the you know on the front end and you look at water usage greenhouse gas emissions mm -hmm. yeah uh, like uh fossil fuel consumption mm -hmm. there's just no better packaging that we've been able to find Absolutely. you know and, and food waste even you know as you know when you have glass or you have something that's open to sunlight mm -hmm. it degrades your product quicker mm -hmm. so you have more food waste which is one of the big carbon emitters so yeah, I completely agree. We, the plastic industry has a big way to go or a yep. long way to go yep. with end of life. Yeah. But in terms of, you know, the front of life and, and the saving energy savings there, it's an yep. incredible. That's cool. Packaging. Yeah. No, we're hopeful, you know, that things will change over the next short period of time. And it's interesting to sort of see where the change is being driven from. Like there are retail banners out there that are putting mandates in place that, you know, all flexible packaging needs to be recyclable. So a monostructure and, you know, they're putting dates you know, as goalposts, yeah. you know, in front of us. And then there are some retailers like um, down in the States that are, you know, mandating compostable, flexible packaging as well, which has its limitations. Like there's no way that you could put a liquid product in a compostable pouch. It's just not going to happen, you know? It's not going to happen. No. So I think, you know, a lot is going to be determined by what the reality of the product that's being packaged up is, where the infrastructure and what infrastructure is available in the municipality as to what the reality of that, you know, end of life system is going to be like, you know, they're going to determine a lot. And then, you know, who's really sort of pushing the agenda? Is it the retailers? Is it government initiatives? Or, you know, it's definitely not consumer demand because the consumers, and I know the businesses really try and make the right decisions. It's, uh, it's, it's, um, it's a bigger issue than that. It's, it's sort of got to come from the top now and they've sort of got to align with what everybody else wants, I think. 
It's so true. And I think that education piece is really important. And provinces like BC, you know, I would say are really leading the way. So with our flexible beverage pouch, there's a 10 cent deposit in BC. It goes into the deposit system and then it gets sent to TerraCycle, which has, uh, you know, as you know, a plant in Ontario and they recycle these flexible pouches into all sorts of different consumer goods or or pallets that can be used in lumber and and other types of applications. Engineered fuel. Yeah. Engineered fuel. Yeah. So it, you know, it's, it's quite incredible. I think BC and Alberta are kind of leading the way, especially yeah. in, in Canada yeah. with that infrastructure. And I'm hoping that it spreads across the rest of the country and yeah. to the U S to TerraCycle and some of these, these corporations that are really yeah. getting involved and yeah. they see the benefits up yeah. front, right? Yeah. Like we said, you know, water usage, greenhouse gases, mm-hmm. there's glass or aluminum to my knowledge, we'll just never be able to compete in those, yeah. in those metrics. Yeah, I agree. Um, Mate, there are a couple more things that I would like to ask you. Do you have a little bit more time up your sleeve? Of course. I got nothing but time for you. Awesome. All right. No worries. Now, there sound to be quite a few sort of memorable developments of Rabita. Tell us a little bit more about, you know, initiatives that you've sort of built into the business, like the flexible packaging. They're sort of critical sort of pillars of sort of what the business is, and it sort of defines who you are. What are the sort of pillars have you built into the business that have sort of defined you guys? Yes, we have our four core values which right. we call the four Fs. So it's freedom, fitness, family, and faith. And we try to live everything that we do with Robita and the brand. Mm-hmm. We try to center around those things. So, you know, fitness being a core value, right? Like we want to create the healthiest possible product with the cleanest ingredients. We want to encourage people to be active. We want to encourage them to get outside and, and, and move their bodies and get out to the mountains and meditate, like you were saying, Aiden. You know, freedom, it, not financial freedom, but also the, you know, the freedom of choice, the freedom to, you know, improve yourself and chase your true potential and, and really grow and develop as a person. And, and so we do things like our podcast, which is a personal development podcast. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're trying to build our brand really around, you know, a feeling and, and about becoming better. It's, you know, something bigger than, than just beverages. And so that's really the cornerstone of, of what we're doing here at Revita. It's, it's about helping people. Mm-hmm. And then in terms of some of the initiatives that we do, so we just partnered with Plastic Bank. So oh, cool. yeah, so for every, our new flavor, it's called Charity. It's a black cherry flavor. And 1% of all sales goes to Plastic Bank to remove plastic bottles from the ocean. Mm-hmm. So this year, we're going to remove over 100,000 plastic bottles from the ocean mm-hmm. on top of some of these, you know, carbon, uh, carbon positive uh, carbon emission savings that we're doing just by using flexible pouch packaging. You know, mm-hmm. we're proud to be trying to lead the way here with helping to remove plastic pollution from That's the cool. environment. So always finding ways to give back and finding ways to just truly help people and make a different, a positive impact in the world. Yeah, that's awesome. Having some core pillars like that really sort of help you to make decisions because you can sort of filter anything through it. And if it passes the test, you know, uh, you know, against any of those four criteria, it's sort of like, it's a step in the right direction. Would you suggest that that's how you have what you've found as well? Oh, I, that's such a good way to put it. Any big decision that you're facing with your staff or a big company decision, yeah, you're right. You should pass it through that filter. Does yeah. this align with our core values, yeah. right? Yeah. And if yeah. it doesn't, then it's an easy no, you know, yeah. and there's opportunities that we get thrown our way and we have to ask ourselves that question. And if it's no, then, you know, it's an easy pass. It's an easy mm. decision for us because everything that we do has to be, you know, aligned mm-hmm. with those core values that we have as a company. Now, was that something that you developed right from the very start or did it sort of take you a while to sort of figure out that that was something that was either inherently there and you just needed to spell it out 
or was it something that you knew that you had to develop? I think it's something that's evolving over time still. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, I, I know from my experiences in the corporate world, right. And, you know, I've working for different companies and I, I see the importance of core values mm. and the importance of culture and, and how I'm sure you've had this experience too, right. Where one bad egg or one bad decision by management could co- completely wreck the culture of a company yeah. and really send it to its demise. Yeah. And so, you know, especially reading some of uh, you know, business books, like, Tony Shea's book, Delivering Happiness, where he talks about Zappos, the company in the space, and how they develop their core values and the hire and fire and everything they do is based on those core values. Mm-hmm. So it's something that I knew was important, but now that we're hiring more staff and, and we're really letting the brand grow into what our customers are leading it to become, you know, we're develop- I think we're continuing to grow and develop those core values. So we have a good foundation, but it's something that's evolving over time and I think we'll continue to evolve. That's great, mate. I've got one more question for you. And I've been asking this question over the last couple of podcasts because it gets a really good response. And I'm always sort of intrigued to sort of hear the the answers that I'm going to get. So if you were to fast forward a year from now, and this could be in business or it could be sort of personal development. So if you were to fast forward a year from now and you could say to me that you had had your best year ever, what is it specifically that you will have accomplished? The first thought that came to my head was, we helped a million people that year. A million, yeah. A million people. Yeah, yeah. I think in the next year, you know, I have a, a quote that I keep on, uh, you know, my, my whiteboard in the office here, and it's it's to make millions, you have to impact millions. Mm-hmm. Because to be financially successful or to be successful as an entrepreneur, you have to help millions of people. And so that's really the goal for the next, you know, 12 months is how can we help, you know, a million people with our product. And it can be helping them in a small way, which is giving them a healthy pick-me-up or in a bigger way by developing these relationships, you know, creating jobs, creating opportunities. Mm-hmm. That's awesome, man. What a great goal. And so is that, um, how are you going to be able to define that metric? you like, it sounds like there's, it's, it sounds like you've got a goal ahead of you, but how are you actually breaking it down so that you can achieve it? Yeah, that's, I think it's, you got to break it down mm-hmm. to what's, you know, the one thing that I can do today yeah. to help me get yep. towards that goal. Yeah. And so that's, you know, how we do all our goal setting here is okay. Here's the big goal. Well, how do we break it down to what we can do this year? Yeah. How can we break it down to what we're going to do this month all the yeah. way down to what can we do today? Yeah. What's the one or two or three actionable things that we can yeah. do every single day. Yeah. And so, you know, one of the things we've been doing here is every day on Instagram, you know, either Carly or I were sending personalized videos to people that's on cool. Instagram that have interacted yeah. with us. So that's, you know, is that going to change someone's life? You no, know, but you know, it might brighten somebody's day. Right. Yeah. And, and they're going to remember you. Times, yeah. They're going to remember you. And it's that yeah. butterfly effect, right? If you spread yeah. enough positivity, eventually, you know, you really can change the world. So yeah. I think to answer your question, it's just breaking it down into bite-sized chunks and, yeah. and what's those one or two or three things that you can do today that's going to make a difference in somebody's life. And that's yeah. really the way that we're trying to tackle these big goals here. That's awesome. That's not the first time that I've heard people say that they're sending personalized videos. Um, I've used it as a sales approach here at hey. Foodpack. Um, I know the guys from Midday Squares are also sending out personalized um, messages to you know clients or distributors or whoever they're building relationships with, because you know it's one thing to receive an email, it's another thing to receive a phone call, but to actually like get a, a personalized video, it's not only unique and memorable, but it's actually genuine. Like you can tell if somebody's being genuine with you or not. You know. You can immediately tell, yeah. And yeah. Jake and them at Midday Square, yeah. they, they, do, yeah. they do a great job. I'm very inspired by some of the things that they do. And Don't they? Yeah. yeah, it's about truly caring about people, right? Mm-hmm. And that comes through in a video. You can see it if it's faked or not. And yeah. Just to take the time to do that, I, I think that 
that means so much more than just an automated message. Yeah. And the world, you know, it's, it's a crazy world right now. And I think the world needs more about more of that. Yeah. You know, people just caring about each other. Mate, what a great way to leave the, uh, leave the conversation. I really appreciate your time today. Um, if there was anybody that wanted to reach out and get in touch and learn more about your business, what's the best way? Yeah, go to revita.com. So it's rv.com. And my email is, if you inf- uh, email info at revita.com, it'll get directed to me. So would love to connect with anybody listening. And Hayden, I just want to really thank you for putting this show together. I, I know personally how much time a podcast takes and to give you know, local companies, you know, this opportunity to be on your platform and the insightful questions that you do and the research that you put into this. I know it takes a lot of time. I just want to say I really, really appreciate it. And thank you for what you do for entrepreneurs. Oh, dude, it's my pleasure. Thank you very much for your time. And I appreciate the kind words because I, I really do enjoy what I do and it's bringing a lot of value to my life as well. And to hear that it's bringing some value to your life as well, is, it's awesome to hear. So thank you. Oh yeah. These, these conversations are so enriching and I don't, I think the average person listening, like, you know, and I used to think this when I was listening to podcasts before I did my own, it's so much time, you know, mm-hmm. the prep work and the editing and everything that goes into it. So I just want to say, I really appreciate it. Well, thanks, man. I appreciate you too. And um, I will keep an eye on your business on LinkedIn and I'll make sure to check in and say good day every now and then. And uh, yeah, it's been a pleasure chatting with you. So thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. We'll be in touch. All right. Take care, mate. Bye. Take care, Hayden. Thanks for listening today. If you have any questions from today's episode or would like to know more about what I can do to help you achieve your packaging vision, you can reach me directly at Hayden at thepackheavypodcast.com. You could DM me on Instagram at thepackheavypodcast or we could also connect on LinkedIn and start a conversation there. We'll see you next week.